My name is Jim Farley. I'm the CEO of Ford, and this is Drive. I mean, I literally operate anything that says John Deere or Caterpillar on it. Bulldozers, backhoes, earth movers, cranes, big rigs, dump trucks, and I, I own two boats. But these Tonka toys became my foot in the door for driving. You may not have heard of Dee Bryant, but you probably know her work. She's one of the most accomplished stunt drivers in the world. Dee has appeared in hundreds of movies and commercials. She's been a stunt double for Angela Bassett and Kerry Washington. And as you just heard, she does a lot more than reverse 180s and T-bone crashes. She does stunts in almost every kind of vehicle. She got her start in the industry by responding to a want ad for a female construction worker. I had gone through a three-year apprenticeship called the Operating Engineers that taught me how to operate all and any form of heavy equipment, construction equipment. And uh, I did that when I <laughs> when I dropped out of college. My mother had passed away, so I had to find a way to support myself. And I saw a sign that said, women needed in construction. And I thought, I'm not going to swing a hammer or push a shovel all my life. So I want to operate the big Tonka toys. But these Tonka toys became my foot in the door for driving because... Uh, as an entry-level apprentice, they had us operate these machines called a scraper, which is a big earth mover with two engines. Had a front engine and a rear engine. And just to pass time, I would race the guys and we would see who could get the most loads before lunch. And I would get behind the water truck and gun the rear engine, which would slide the back end of the machine around and hole shoot them. And they couldn't figure it out. A couple guys rolled the machines trying to copy me and I just... I figured it out, steer into the slide and gun it. <laughs> so applying that to a car became kind of second nature for me. It was your own skid pad. Absolutely. So what's the most challenging heavy equipment to operate and, and drive? Like what would be, if you took someone off the street, they just couldn't do it. It'd be too difficult. What would that be? Oh, definitely a crane. Oh, really? Yes. And a crane is what I specialized in because it's less wear and tear on your body. You're not bouncing around. You're not going I over see. bumps. And you're stable and you're swinging, you're booming down. But you do have to travel the crane to get to another location. And my last big project before I just kind of let go of that career was the new Ram Stadium in Inglewood. But uh, my buddy happened to get footage of me relocating the crane. It was the biggest crane on the job site. And I had to relocate it to the other side of the stadium in order to set the roof panels. And I had it in high speed travel and this is as fast as this thing could go. And he's literally walking alongside of me <laughs> filming. <laughs> but I had over 400 feet of boom, which is the stick on the crane traveling as well. And if you have to keep it at a certain angle, otherwise you'll flip the crane over. You go over a bump that's too high, you'll flip the crane over. So, right. but that's the most, definitely the most difficult piece of equipment to operate. Would you actually be able to see what you're picking up or moving, or do you have to listen to people on the radio to do your, to, to manipulate the crane? I have to literally rely on the iron workers to guide my headache ball because I'm in the blind completely. So I always say a cr good crane operator is only as good as their phone man. We call him the phone man on the radio because I'm in the blind and he's telling me swing left, 
boom down, and I have to get a visual in my mind. And as long as he describes it perfectly, I landed right on the mark. And so was there a moment when you took the plunge and said, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to start doing that? Ironically, I didn't have the confidence to take that plunge until about five years ago. So I, I was a heavy equipment operator for years, but yes, mm -hmm. it, it just, it clicked about five years ago. And I realized that I was blocking my um, ability to prosper in my career as a stunt woman because I was holding on to this other job as an equipment operator, but it was my bread and butter. And I was afraid to let that go. Are there obstacles for women in stunt work like there is in professional racing? Um, not stunt work per se, but stunt driving. Absolutely. It's definitely a man's world. Till this day, if you look at a call sheet and say there's a high speed chase sequence and there's 10, 15, what we call ND nondescript drivers, they're not doubling anyone. 90% of them, if not 100%, are always men. And the stunt coordinator, it's at his discretion to hire whoever he'd like, but nine times out of 10, they hire their buddies and they hire all men. So how, how do you deal with that? I mean, or more importantly, maybe who gave you the courage to put that aside? I actually, um, because I've always had my second job as a crane operator to fall back on, I I've, see. I've never had the need to bite my tongue. So I've always Got been it. outspoken in this industry. And Got I'm kind of known as the bad girl Good. <laughs> because of it. Yeah. Tell me about your first car. My very first car was a Chevy Impala, uh, I believe a 1976 Chevy Impala. And my dad bought it for me when I was a senior in high school. He found it. It was a garage find and it was in pristine condition. Mm. But uh, it was funny because my dad was a bit of a drinker. And I remember him bringing the car home and he said, OK, baby girl, let's go around the corner. And he was passing out in the back seat. And every time I saw him kind of close his eyes, I would just gun it. And then he'd wake <laughs> up and then I'd just slow down. And he'd, are you okay? Oh yeah, dad, I'm fine. And he'd doze off and I'd just kind of slide it around the corner and gun it. I, I from day one, always had um, a kind of an adrenaline junkie. And I hate to use that term because people apply that to stunt professionals, which were not adrenaline junkies at all, but I was definitely as a child. So how do you think you got into cars and driving and being good at driving, like where did it come from? Um, I dated a guy in high school or college, actually, and he was a street racer. And it was long before the whole Fast and the Furious phase. Yep. But he was literally a street racer in my city. And he had this car that no one would race him because he had nitrous, which was kind of a cheat. You know, the guys that had a little money had nitrous in their cars. And he would put me in the seat and say, OK, you guys won't race me, race a girl. And they would. And he would just tell me, hold on, hold, just hold on and don't crash. And so, of course, it was a bit more than that. I had to learn how to, you know, maneuver the vehicle in case something jumped out in front of me, a dog or anything. And so it just kind of became a passion of mine. Street racing in L.A., I mean, that's that's like serious stuff. You know, being in the car industry, I know like that that's, that's a big deal. Um, did you ever feel pressure because of that? Because it's it, it's like legit, really difficult place to, to compete. 
Oh, for sure. And the pressure was, he would always tell me, if you see the cops, run and meet me at my apartment. And mm. that would always scare me because if I saw, you know, flashing lights or a police car, even without flashing lights, sometimes the cops would just leave us alone. Like, oh, these, it was back in the, the late 80s. So they would think, well, these kids are just, you know, they're not harming anyone. We were on an industrial street where there was no uh, residents, sure. you know, no kids. Yep. But um my heart, I just remember my heart would always just beat out of my chest whenever I saw the mm. black and whites. Like, oh, God, do mm. I run? Do I not? Do I say, you know, what do I do? So, of course, back then it wasn't a felony yet. Now evading the police officer is a felony. Yeah. I wouldn't even think twice about doing that. But I am I do say that I'm glad that I grew up in that era where we could, you know, have fun and just release a little of the teenage anxiety that we used to have. And it was not hurting anyone. So most people... I, I race cars um, for fun. For me, it's my yoga. And um, but most people think, oh, you know, yeah, it's aggressive and it's a much. No, that's actually the opposite. <laughs> I actually concentrate really hard and um, completely relaxed after I'm done. And it, it's actually the only thing I I think of that is is relaxing after it's done. Um, tell take us through what you do to prepare for a a scene, you're, you're going to um, do what you do. How do you prepare? Because I think it's probably a lot different than people think. Oh, for sure. Uh, first of all, I discuss with the stunt coordinator what the scene entails and what maneuvers will be required. For example, the one for the rookie, um, the pilot series, a pilot episode, I had to portray this woman who's an FBI agent and she's going through uh, Quantico training facility, and she's learning how to do high speed car chases and maneuvers. And the instructor's in the in the uh, passenger seat with her, and he doesn't know that she's actually a drifter. Mm. So, so the instructor is telling her to do certain maneuvers, and she's just totally disregarding him. And she's <laughs> drifting the car and scaring the crap out of this guy. And then all of a sudden, uh, a bad guy flies through with a beautiful Mustang. Okay. And and so the pursuit ensues and I'm chasing this guy and then I have to pit maneuver him to stop Got him. It. But uh, I wasn't able to hit the car in reality. They said, D, we only have one of these cars. Please don't hit it. But you have to make it look like you're slamming into this this quarter panel. Mm. So I had to hit this guy and he did a 90 to, as the reaction. But I came within inches of that Mustang and it was... Mm. It was gnarly. But uh, to answer your question, to prepare for this, because I was doing reverse 180s and all these different maneuvers, I took out my Dodge Charger, which was the vehicle that you know the FBI drive. I took that out and um, just practiced the different maneuvers, the reverse 180s, perfect them, just brush up and uh, sliding 90, drifting a little bit sweeps. And um, I just go out to Willow Springs and practice whatever I know we're going to shoot that day. And sometimes it won't be exactly what I'm shooting because you never know until the day. But at least I feel, I always feel good about when I walk into set, like, I know I can do this.
I have to tell you, I have so much respect for what you do. I went down to North Carolina and Vaughn Gittin Jr. was trying to teach me how to drift. And I found it really difficult, uh, counterintuitive. And what I found out, I don't know if I don't know if this is common, but for me, it was an aha moment. I can drift to the right, but drifting to the left is a lot harder for me. And I have no idea. Maybe it's because it's I can't see on that side of the car. It's further. I, I don't know. I just found like, why am I having so much more difficult drifting one side than the other? It, that's normal. And um, is it? Yeah, normal? Okay. It, it definitely is. And I agree with you. Drifting is the one thing in a vehicle that is the most difficult thing that I've ever learned. And I'm still learning. Mm. Um, but it's very common for people to be able to drift to the left side because your mm. mirror is right there. And the first thing they teach you in drifting are donuts. And they'll put a cone down yes. and you drift around the donuts and it's easy yes. to line up because it's right next to you. Whereas yes. drifting you know, around the donut on the other side like you said, it's kind of blind. Yeah. So it's that's it. Okay. Yeah. It's the it's normal. You're normal. <laughs> it's really complicated because it's like it's like a third dimension to driving when you put in, you know, losing traction but just not too much. Yes. I I found it incredibly challenging. Like it, I have a new level of respect for professionals like you. What you do every day, it's amazing. Thank you. So are you? Are you a bad person to go to the movies with or a good person to go to the movies with? <laughs> I'm a good person, I think, because I keep my thoughts to myself. <laughs> uh, well, that's good because you know really what's going on and you know how things are filmed and you would be able to dissect things. For sure. So what do you think you're uniquely skilled at doing? Like, I imagine as a professional, everyone's kind of good at different things. I mean, they're all good at everything you have to be in your job, but is there certain things that you like are better than anyone else at doing absolutely, as a stunt absolutely. person? For sure. I um, I can say that I'm the only stunt performer, male or female, that can operate anything and everything with an ignition, except for an airplane or helicopter. And it's because of the apprenticeship I went through. I mean, I literally mm. operate anything that says John Deere or Caterpillar on it, you know, it. bulldozers, backhoes, earth movers, cranes, big rigs, dump trucks. Um, mm. And I am competent, a very competent boat driver. I own two boats. So I did a film in Columbia over the summer where I did a high sequence boat chase which was a lot like a chase sequence in a car, but the first time I've ever done it. And it was mm. um, the same situation where the bad guy is slamming into my boat. Do you get nervous? What what scares you? Um, you know, I, I not a lot scares me. I think the thing about that sequence that scared me was the fact that I was tied into the boat because the, mm. it was so rough, the slamming was so rough that it would have thrown he or and or I out of the boats had we not been tied in. But the other guy hit me so hard at one point that the boat actually flipped sideways and I thought it was going to go over. And I kept thinking, oh, my God, I'm tied in. I don't know if they'll get to me in time. So I actually, in the next take, I untied my lanyard. And then when he slammed into me, I lost the steering wheel and kind of slid to the side. The boat went through the bushes, through the mangroves. And then by the time I grabbed the steering wheel, I steered back out and got right behind and back into the chase. And the director's yelling on the radio, oh, my God, that was awesome. It looks so realistic. And he didn't know I untied it. It was realistic. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's good. Yeah. So that was fun, but it was definitely scary. So it looks like 
we kind of now know that in our industry that the first manifestation of like self-driving should be probably a highway on a sunny day where we're where we have the system the software and the hardware the senses uh sensing to allow the customer to take their eyes off the road um as a professional what do you think about we call that level three autonomy what do you think about uh that like is that a good thing because we're going to give a lot of people time back yeah on the other hand on the other hand so what's your view of autonomy um i think it may be useful to someone not myself because i'm too much of a control freak i i literally i have that feature on my ev and i i play with it and i'll take my hands off the steering wheel maybe this much and then put them back on because i just can't imagine an uh, an item controlling what Controlling my life, basically. Controlling, you know, my fate. But you use elevators. They're autonomous. True. Very true. You trust them. Um, that's a good point. But I think yeah, it's so, because, because I grew up going, you know, using elevators as a child. Yes, Maybe yes, ha yes. had this been a feature that I had as a child, I, I'm sure yeah. I'd be comfortable with it. So I think the next generation will absolutely embrace it. It's interesting you say that because we're finding that the, the largest obstacle for people taking their hands off the steering wheel, like you said, uh -huh. is trying it, doing it for the first time. When they when they do it, they go, oh my God, the system's great. You know, now the system we have, Blue Cruise, it, it'll like move over if there's a heavy truck next to you uh, within the same lane. Uh, it keeps the corners really nicely at highway speeds. It's, it's amazing how sophisticated it's gotten. But we still find what exactly what you said, as we're all taught, and of course, your professional is never, ever take your hands off the wheel. In fact, never even put one hand on the wheel. Um, and we find that the, the biggest obstacle for people trying is just to literally let go of the steering wheel. Because wow. they, so you are absolutely exactly right. That is an unnatural thing to do. It for really most is. And I'm curious, what is the demographic? Like, are there, is it the older generation or is it, you know, the middle aged generation that are less likely? Um, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, generally younger people are more interested in trying new things. So, especially in a car. Mm -hmm. um, for me, in my age, I remember the moment when ABS became, you know, a big deal in our industry. A lot of people had crashes and, you know, ABS was going to save, did save a lot of lives. And, you know, for that first moment when you really slam on the brakes and you started getting a pulsing of the system working, a lot of people took their foot off the brake. Mm. Um, older people, because okay. they were taught like something's wrong. Right. And actually the vehicle was doing its job, braking faster than if you had locked up the, the tires. So I, I think it's, you know, generally we're animals of behavior. So, and repetition puts it back in that reptilian part of our brain. And, and so letting go of the steering wheel or um, the older you are, the less natural it is. Um, Absolutely, I so, agree. So, yeah. So, do you have any advice for me as a CEO Ford? Well, um, maybe different color options for next season. Okay. Yeah. Can you be more specific? Anything I, that we're missing? I think I love the, I can't remember the the name of it, but it's the orange one. The orange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that color. Um, I think the only 
problem with it is a lot of people think that they're probably a target for highway patrol. Yeah. So CHP. yeah, CHP. They're like, yeah, yep. you can't get away with too much with a bright colored car. <laughs> but um, I love the my black car. It's just so difficult to stay clean. Yes. You know, to In keep LA, that one clean. That's, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But there's uh, there's this gray silverish. Uh huh. You know yep. what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, I do. Yes. So yes. That's a, that's uh, uh, yep. Yeah. It seems like it. Well, it's interesting to me because I study globally what's the most popular colors oh and it's changed a lot over the last like five years huh. when, when i joined the industry you know the most popular colors were red uh but black especially black now the most popular color globally is white by really? far because hmm. the china market in asia white is purity and so and and the china market has gotten to be the biggest in the world now so oh. um so they have a big influence but here in the us i think silver and then a whitish kind of silver is getting to be really trendy and popular okay okay so you're a motorcycle person i am i've, I've been reading about it and i'm i'm also a motorcycle person i'm on the board of harley davidson too and and um <laughs> so so tell me how you got into motorcycles, because that's a whole different thing than cars. Totally different. But again, it has an ignition. So it's something that, uh, you know. And, 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 that's, and, that's a theme here. <laughs> right. Yeah. has an ignition yep. and you can go fast. Well, my dad bought me my first motorcycle when I was 11 years old. It was a dirt bike. Oh, my gosh. And he, really? was, he was big into Harleys. He actually belonged to a club in retrospect. Now that I think about it, I, I believe he was a club member because I remember okay. all of his buddies used to come to our house and they'd be wrenching on their bikes in our garage and they were all Harley Davidsons. So he cool. bought my brother and I motorcycles. My brother was five and I was 11 and uh, with dirt bikes, of course. And then when we got older, both my brother and I both got street bikes and he oh. hated it. He, yeah, because, because I, you know, they were really fast. Yeah, and they were <laughs> really crotch fast. rockets. They weren't cruisers. Yeah, really fast. Yeah, so he yep. would always fuss at me, get off that thing. And I go, well, you're the one that taught me how to ride it. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. See, this is scary to me because I also, my daughters, like, I knew that they were going to drive. So I thought the best thing to, for them to do is to learn how to ride a dirt bike because it's all the basics are there. Yep. You know, control and, and, uh and so they're really into it now. Actually, we ride together uh, uh, dirt bikes and and stuff. But now I I didn't realize it was a gateway it is. to fast cars and motorcycles. Beware! But the good thing is, <laughs> learning how to ride a motorcycle definitely taught me how to drive a stick. And I Got learned it. how to drive a standard, a manual shift at the age of thirteen, and it just Got came it. naturally because of the motorcycles. So it's been so amazing. you really are amazing because you can operate a crane. Any kind of equipment, any kind of heavy, you know, truck, uh, motorcycles. I mean, that that's pretty amazing. The buses. That you, thank you. Yeah. I, wow. I, and I'm very comfortable with large vehicles because of it. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that about you that people would not know about you? I love country music. Because you do. I, yeah, I do. I'm a country music fanatic. I grew up, my dad was the old cowboy and uh, I grew up you know, on ranches with the loudspeakers blaring country music while I was training my horse, riding barrels, and it just stuck. Oh, my so. God. So so I know the whole stunt profession came out of riding horses. Yes, the, the original stuntmen all came from riding uh, in the old westerns, you know, doing horse mm. balls and 
stagecoach, driving stagecoaches. Those were all the original stunt guys. And that Mm. is where our industry was born. Uh, One of my uncles was a stunt man in the the 70s, and he's an old cowboy, still is a cowboy. And uh, he was the stunt double for Cornelius and Planet of the Apes on horseback. I remember it like it was yesterday. I do. Actually, I remember that movie. There was some, the the riding was really aggressive. It was a really big part of that movie. It was, it was. And I just remember as a child watching him at the rodeos because he was a bull rider. And I, I didn't, uh, I'd put him on a pedestal because he was a stunt man. I knew nothing about that, but he was a cowboy. And that was, uh, you know, that was amazing to me. And I just remember him riding those bulls. And I thought, oh my God, he's my hero. And then hmm. who knew fast forward that I would actually end up in the same industry. And I never used his name. People still don't even know that he's my uncle. And people amazing. in the industry still remember him. He's amazing. in his he's in his 80s now, but he's still around. And he's still a cowboy. How is uh, stunt work changing? How is the industry changing? The industry has changed a lot due to runaway production and, you know, it being spread out so much. Whereas where Hollywood used to be in Hollywood, it's now in, as you know, Georgia, Louisiana, mm. Texas. I see. New Mexico, where I'm heading today, um, Canada. See. So it's it's instead of being the tight-knit community that I remember when I got into it in the 90s, it's now where you may work with someone or work on a set and you don't know anyone. You don't know any of the other stunt people. Whereas before we all knew each other. So, you know, you see how movies are really made. What do you think is the biggest surprise or misconception about movie making from people you meet? Um, It always blows me away when people are not aware of stunt doubles and they actually think that an actor does all of his own stunts because he mm. says that in the media. And as you yeah. know, there are no actors that do all their own stunts. I think Jackie Chan was right. probably the closest to being the only one that did his own stunts. But it's, it's just amazing to me that people are not aware of stunt doubles. And I think a lot of it has to do with the Academy Awards or the, the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences not honoring us in the Oscars. We're the only ones that don't have a category. No, that's interesting. You're right. Uh, sound. Um, you know, of course, wardrobe, um, even hair and makeup, hair and makeup. Right. And I, I hadn't thought that sounds unjust. That's a, let's go change that. Completely unjust. I mean, we're the only ones, the only department, hmm. you know, risking our life and limb and we're not honored at all, not recognized hmm. at all. Well, I would like to honor you. Well, thank and you, Jen. As the he- head of Ford, um, I am so encouraged that there are professionals like you who uh, keep the passion for operating, driving vehicles, introducing it to new generations, introducing to people around the world that may see some something you're doing in a part of the world that, that we take cars for granted but may not be part of their daily life. So um, I'm so uh, thankful to be able to talk to you and Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you, Jim. Great speaking with you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Drive is produced by Jesse Baker and Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise. Our production staff includes Julia Natt, Eva Walchover, and Kristen Muller, with help from Lori Arpin, Krista Gentile, Max Owen-Dunell, Catherine Sanders, Darnell Macon, and Mark Truby. 
Our host is Jim Farley, and this is Drive.